What a blessing. Let me give you time. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. If you find Nahum, you haven't gone far enough. You find Zephaniah, you've gone too far. The book of Habakkuk. We'll count down another 30 seconds. If you haven't found it yet, just look like you got it. book of Habakkuk. Of course, you could always go to the table of contents in the front, and it'll tell you what page it's on in your Bible, okay? You ready? All right, begin in verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. What do you do when you can't understand what's going on? What do you do? I was just looking at some notes earlier this week. And I noticed I I preached a message, not this one, but I preached a message back in 2012. And in that message, I mentioned that at that time, there were two states in the United States who had okayed same-sex marriage. That's only 11 years ago. Do you realize how far we have slid down the path of debauchery and sin? So that today, there are states considering laws to make you a criminal if you don't call a person by their preferred pronoun. If a male doesn't want to be called he, then you could be charged for a crime. It's just not amazing. We are talking about working into the very fabric of our society so that that which was good and is good is now evil in the sight of the people that are running the asylum. And I say asylum because that is what it's becoming. We have talked a lot over the years about revival and the need for revival. And truly, this nation's only hope is a Holy Ghost-sent revival. But a revival also requires the cooperation of God's people. Without it, there will be no revival. Now, in the book of Habakkuk that we read, Habakkuk was a contemporary with Jeremiah the prophet. And we find that the Babylonians had swooped down. The northern ten tribes, the northern kingdom, had already been carried off long before. And it was just Judah that was left. Now, remember, God had given them the land about 400 years before, so they had been dwelling in the land. But now the Babylonians had come in. And not only... With their paganism and their debauchery, were they beating the Israelites? They were beating God's people. 
But there appeared to be no hope, so much so that the prophet of God, Jeremiah, was even, even announcing God's coming judgment upon his people, and God was using the godless Babylonians to bring that judgment. So what do you do when you see a need? You have a great burden, you pray, and God answers, but the answer was not the answer you wanted. How do you respond then? When you pray and God answers, but it's not the answer that you wanted. How are you going to respond in that? Worse than that, the answer seems to be the worst answer that you could possibly get. Now, some people have been there in different times in their lives. People have been loaded down with a heavy burden, crying out to God. Might be a great spiritual problem that they have. Might be a physical problem. Might be a financial problem. That might be a national problem, and truly we have national problems today. We see our foundations not just cracking, but they're smoldering like the Twin Towers before they fell down. We wonder, when is God finally going to intervene and turn this thing around? Could it possibly get worse? Well, yes, it not only can, but it will. You can count on it. The truth is, we haven't really seen yet how far down we can go. So I want to learn something from this man, Habakkuk, who at least does the right thing. He looks around. He sees his nation going under. He sees the godless, the Babylonians coming in, and it looks like they're going to be overrun, and God has even said that's what's going to happen. And he can't understand it, so he goes to the Lord. In the first five verses that we read, we see Habakkuk's burden. If you look, for instance, at verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? His first question is, how long? And then you look at verse 3, he says, why dost thou show me iniquity? Just like us, Lord, how long do I have to go through this? And then why? Lord, am I seeing this? You see, unfortunately, a lot of preachers have preached it falsely, saying that God always wants us healthy and wealthy, that we can do whatever we want, and somehow it's got to be okay because we're God's people, and because he loves us, he's going to continue to put up with it. Because after all, it's us. It's us. And here Habakkuk looks around and it looks like the end of his nation is coming. It had been 400 years since Israel had taken over the land. They've had many, many kings, all of that. Well, the northern kingdom had already been carried off. But now here's Judah and it's going to be taken in. Now, you might ask, what was the problem? Him being a contemporary of Jeremiah, the Babylonians had surrounded the nation. And if you want to get an idea of what the problem was, keep your hand here and go back to the book of Jeremiah. And we'll just kind of walk through it a little bit. Jeremiah chapter 5. And notice beginning in verse 25. Jeremiah chapter 5 
And we'll begin at verse 25, and then we'll just pick up on some verses through the book. But notice the scripture says, your iniquities, now here's Jeremiah preaching to the very people that Habakkuk is called as a prophet to as well. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. Stop right there. He's not talking about the Babylonians. He says, for among my people are found wicked men. May I say that in the church house today, there are wicked men. In churches today, people who claim to know God, who live by the world and contrary to the word, and think that somehow God's got to put up with it because it's them. And yet my Bible says in 1 Peter that judgment must begin first at the house of God. The problem is God's people. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, famous verse, when he says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and get this, and turn from their wicked ways. Who? My people. God's people. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So notice he goes on to say, For among my people are found wicked men that lay wait, as he that set a snares that set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great and waxen rich. They are waxen fat. They shine, yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, and yet they prosper, and the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And look at this. And my people bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? So Jeremiah preaches to God's people. You look over at chapter 6. And notice in verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, this is God's people, not the Babylonians. He's not talking about them. We will not walk therein. You realize how many people there are that are religious? They claim to be Christian, but they do not want a church that insists that we walk according to the word of God. We will not walk therein. As a matter of fact, you look down at the next verse. Also set a watchman over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. Go over to chapter 7 and notice in verse 16. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me. For I will not Hear thee. He says back in verse 16 of chapter 7, 
That's what I just read, wasn't it? Okay, good. Uh, go over to chapter 13. Notice verse 11. Chapter 13 and verse 11. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. Then underline it. But they would not hear. It is a matter of choice. It's not that they couldn't hear. They chose they were not going to hear. Remember, Jesus said over and over again, both in the gospel accounts and also in the book of the Revelation to the letters of the seven churches, let him that hear, uh, let him that can hear, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. God's telling us to listen to his word, pay attention to his word. In verse uh, chapter 17, verse 27, Verse came to me, let him that hath ears hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Took a little while for the brain to work. Notice verse 27. But if ye will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day and not to bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. In chapter 22 and verse 5. Chapter 22 and verse 5. Scripture says, But if ye will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Remember, judgment begins first at the house of God. You need not turn to the other verses, but in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 22, 5, he says, Ye will not hear these words, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 26, 4, Ye will not hearken unto me to walk in my law. And then their statement to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 42 and verse 13, We will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God. Interesting statement there. You've got God's people not only saying, Will I not obey the voice of the Lord God? But they're saying, we'll not, we'll not obey the voice of the Lord your God, Jeremiah, because he's not ours. Whether or not God is your God or not is your choice. But that's sad when God's people are saying to the man of God who's preaching, we're not going to obey the voice of your God. An open acknowledgment that they're not, they've not made God their God. Jeremiah 44, 16, Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. So we get back to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk sees the problem. How long, Lord? How long is this going to continue? Why do I have to live in this? Why am I in the midst of this? Why am I seeing the Babylonians surrounding the city? They've taken much of the nation. Why, Lord? You gave us this land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. These people are pagan. It seems like today that nation after nation, it is the pagan and the hedonist, those that hate God and hate the word of God that are making the choices so that that which is good is becoming evil and that which is evil is being called good. Why is this reaching my home? Now, I'm still glad as I read this passage that even in our darkest hour, 
we can cry out to God. Are things going to get worse? I believe they will. But all right, what's my responsibility if they get worse? Well, number one, to cry out to God. When we get discouraged, cry out to God. When we're down, cry out to God. We can go to God. And we should go to God first of all. It is amazing, though, how when we get down and we look at what's going on about us, he's the last one we talk to. I've got to make a decision. I know I'll change jobs. I know I'll move. I know don't even bother seeking the Lord. And then we wonder why we get into a further mess, a worse mess. There's so little crying out to God for the answers. But we should be acknowledging him First of all, of course, the flip side is seen here. Habakkuk shows our impatience problem when he says, how long should I cry? We want instant answers. We want a microwave religion where we can put it in where in just a few seconds, the food's ready. And we want that solution in our spiritual lives. We want to cry out to you, all right, we've gotten in trouble We've not been what we ought to be spiritually. Okay, but God, you need to answer now. And guess what? He doesn't need to answer now. If he is going to do something, he's going to do it in his time. Lord, how long? Lord, why? Why is this happening to us? You see, I believe Habakkuk could could have understood a famine coming in the land, earthquakes, whatever. He could have understood that. But seeing the pagans, the heathen, the unbelievers coming in and they are being victorious. But Habakkuk has forgotten the whole book of Judges, hadn't he? In the whole book of Judges, God's people would do that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and God would use the Midianites or he'd use the Philistines or he'd use the Ammonites or the Amorites to come in and to put God's people under yoke for several years before he would pull them out. He has forgotten that spiritual example, and as we often forget. So we find God's answer in verses 5 through 11. What is God going to answer this man of God? Habakkuk, notice in verse 5, But ye among the heathen, behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up, now God's speaking here. And God is saying, lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves and their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar or come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride very strong, uh, every stronghold, for they shall keep heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this power unto his God. So God says, here's what's going to happen. 
They're going to come in. They're dreadful people. They are a wicked people. But I'm bringing that in. Well, why? Well, his people wouldn't obey him. And so what he did was he sends the Chaldeans in. And he says, and when they get the victory, they're going to claim that their God did it for them. But it won't be their God doing it. He's saying, Habakkuk, it'll be your God doing it. We find not only in the Old Testament did did we find God fighting against his own people several times. But do you realize that in the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Jesus Christ said to one of the churches that he would come and fight against his own church that would not obey his word. I'll guarantee you there's a lot of churches around Huntsville, Alabama that won't preach that tonight. Well, that was a silly thing to say. A whole bunch of them don't even meet on Sunday night. But you'll never hear it in their Sunday morning service either. So God's answer is not what they wanted to hear. Today, people don't want God reigning over them. They're so enamored. Man, it's amazing to me, the people who are enamored with Islam. Islam, by their very tenet, goes out and destroys people, and they don't care if they destroy their own people as long as they get the other guy. It's interesting that they would take 19 men and kill a whole bunch of Americans, knock down the Twin Towers, and within the next couple of years after that, five new mosques went up in the area around the Twin Towers and got permission from the city of New York to go up. Now, I wonder what would have happened if people from... Bible-believing Christian churches had knocked down the Twin Towers. How many new independent Baptist churches would have been built in that area? Well, we all know there wouldn't have been any. You say, how in the world does that happen? Because God's people have been saying no to God's word. Hey, among independent Baptists, we've got people turning away from the King James Bible and trying to get other churches to turn away from the King James Bible. What Bible do you want us to use? Oh, we don't care. Just pick any one, but not that one. You can't pick that one. So many millions of souls have been saved by that one. That one speaks up for righteousness. It doesn't black out any of the church, any of the verses. It has all the verses in it. And they were translated correctly and from the correct text. You can't use that one. Which one do I need to use that has all the words and the verses of God? Well, we don't have one. But you can't use that one. And what's amazing is the churches that are swallowing that and leaving the word of God. Wow. It'll be tough on a lot of people, but God's good people will have to live through it. I'll remind you that when the Chaldeans came in and took over, Jeremiah had to live through it. Habakkuk had to live through it. Good people had to live through it. You realize what we're seeing take place in our nation where we have no borders anymore. We have made it, matter of fact, we're about as good as we can be to everybody who's not American. The people we don't want to be a blessing to are Americans. How in the world does that happen? Tell you how it happens. God's people don't want to obey God's word anymore. That's how it happens. The ones crying out to God for the nation will suffer with those who brought God's judgment on the nation. The God who loves you will not slack to fulfill his character and his righteousness against a disobedient people.
And it absolutely amazes me. It amazes me the dress of people in churches. I still don't get this, how this could happen to a nation that at least used to have a little bit of sense. I'm still trying to figure out how yoga pants are not underwear. And how anybody who's wearing yoga pants is outerwear, any other place but their own house, how in the world that could be considered okay? Man, that's about as nasty as it can get. But you see, when you fill your head with the world by TV and all the debauchery that's on TV today, after a while, you get numb to it. Samuel Pope put it this way in his essays on man, sin is a monster of such frightful means, has to be hated but be seen, yet seen too oft. Familiar with her face is first endured and then pitied and then embraced. And we are in that time of embracing the most outlandish of sins. Habakkuk's burden. Lord, how long? Lord, why? God's answer. Habakkuk, it's going to get worse. I'm not done. My people haven't learned a lesson. So then we see Habakkuk's confusion. And rightly so. You get to verse 12. Habakkuk now says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Then he says to the Lord, Thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? And makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice under their net and burn incense under their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? I will stand upon my watch and set me over the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now you see Habakkuk knows that God's going to give him an answer back. And it's going to be a reproof. In his confusion, here's where Habakkuk is at. He's astounded because of his faith and the misapplication of his faith. Now, he believes God is holy and God is. That's true. He believed God is righteous and that's true. He, believe, he believes God hates sin and that is true then how could God allow these Chaldeans to rip up and kill and maim God's people? Because judgment begins first at the house of God. The Chaldeans are going to get theirs. But first, God is using them to chasten his own people. He says, of God thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Here's what's happened to Habakkuk. His faith has collided with his reasoning. This is, this is what gets bad when your doctrine ends up being bored out of your reasoning instead of out of thus saith the Lord. By the way, that's how you become a Calvinist. 
when your reasoning takes precedence over the word of God. You reason it, therefore it must be so. All it takes is one false reason and you have got false doctrine. That's what happens. And right here, he's, he, has, he believes correctly that God is holy, but he thinks, therefore, God has got to judge them, not us. He says, wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously? Holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? Because truly, the Chaldeans weren't going to heaven. He says, we shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. Lord, have you forgotten about us? That's basically his complaint. That's my faith. I have a problem. It may seem strange in light of the book of Judges, in light of Israel's history. You take Ai. Do you remember when Israel took Jericho? And then the next day they went out and fought against Ai and they got beat. Now, Joshua couldn't understand why they got beat. Israel didn't understand why they got beat. 36 of their men were killed in the battle against godless Ai. But you remember in that battle in Jericho, one man by the name of Achan took of the accursed thing, the spoil that was supposed to be burnt to the Lord. Now, the people didn't know that he had taken it. But God knew. That's the thing. God knows. God knows our sin. He knows what men get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, get on pornography on the Internet. He knows. He knows who it is. He knows who it is that looks at things they've got no business looking at. He knows. Really. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? The psalmist said in Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy presence? Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee. God knows us. He knows what we do. He knows us. When nobody else does, he knows us. And I remind you of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, when God says to the prophet, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you understand? God doesn't think like us. And one of the challenges in the Christian life is to start thinking like God. How are you going to know how to think like God if his ways are so much higher than ours? Right here. That's why Philippians 2.5 declares, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Learn to think like God by getting in God's word. What he clearly says, that is what he thinks. And he's always right.
So we find that Habakkuk then makes a very wise decision. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, chapter 2, verse 1, and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. He's got an idea what's coming here. He's about to be reproved. The Lord's going to speak. You look at verse 2, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon, the t- upon tables. I like that. Write the vision, make it plain. You know, this really kills people. So many people want all that God said to be pictures and allegory. But let me tell you something. God wrote his word plain. Don't look for some kind of special hidden meaning. What does it say? When God said the Chaldeans were coming down, he wasn't talking about the Chinese. He wasn't talking about the people, the Native Americans. He's talking about the Chaldeans. It's very, very plain. So just take it for what he says. God means what he says. You look at verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. All right, Habakkuk, you've got a right faith. You stand on your faith. He is a holy God. He is righteous in all his ways. His doings are always right. They may not be according to how you reason it out, but you can count on this about God. He's right. That's why, that's why my last verse is Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. I believe anything God says anything about, he's right. And if I don't like it, I'm wrong. Anything he says anything about, he's right. Now, when you get that settled, then you can grow in the Lord and accomplish an awful lot for his glory. But get the message here. The just shall live by his faith. You may not understand the way of God, but hold on to your faith. He's not changed. He is from everlasting. He is pure. He is holy. He shall not die. What about when those things happen to us that we don't like? He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Does God know what he's doing? Yes, he does. And he's promised me those things. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Uh, Let's say 518, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God, you know what you're doing. I never would have chose that for my life, but you chose it for my life. You know what you're doing, and you're right. It may hurt, but you're right. And then God answered with more judgment, truly in the case with the appointed time. He's basically saying in verse 3 that the the worst is yet to come. And then God God goes through even clearer judgments. Uh, Notice, as God goes through the clear judgments, uh, we're not going to read the rest of chapter 2. He pronounces a number of woes. Things are going to take place. You can read those on your own. But notice Habakkuk's acknowledgement. He's now gotten word. God said it's going to be worse than you even thought. I know you prayed, appreciate your prayer, but uh, this is the way it is. So notice how Habakkuk responds in chapter 3. He says in verse 2, O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. 
God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Go down to verse 5. Before him went the pestilence and the burning coals went forth at his feet. Go down to verse 12. He says, Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Verse 16. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. All right, now so far, this isn't one of those books that has got you feeling real good at this point, does it? The worst is going to happen. It's going to be bad, Habakkuk. But the just shall live by his faith. All right, I told you what I'm going to do, Habakkuk. Not much sense in praying for me not to do what I told you I'm going to do, and it's going to be worse even than what you can imagine. So what does Habakkuk do now? He didn't get his prayer answered. Well, he got an answer, but it wasn't what he wanted. So notice verse 17, chapter 3. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. And the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now look at this. Underline it. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, I love this, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. He's saying, hey, even though it may be bad for my nation, it's not for my God and I will rejoice in him with whatever's done. I've been an American all my life. I was born American. I'm glad God allowed me to be an American. If you're not an American, that's fine. I love you. I hope you're glad about whatever you were or whatever you are. That's fine. But we have been spoiled to death in this nation. We've had so much for so long. As a matter of fact, if you compare, if you just took this crowd that's here tonight and compare it to most of the world, you are rich people. Materially rich. Unfortunately, with those material riches, we have become spiritually poor. And God says, all right, it's time. I've sent preachers that have called for revival, but nobody wants to turn from their wicked ways. And we live in a day now where we call wicked ways good. So, all right, judgment may come. Now, I'm not saying God can't bring revival. He could do it. I mean, God's powerful enough to do anything. But you know if he doesn't? And let's say we live under, I mean, we're pretty close to living under socialist rule now. But let's say we end up living under socialism and communism. What are we to do? What good Christians in Russia do? What good Christians in China do? What good Christians in Brazil do? What are we to do? Love God. 
Obey him and serve him. No matter what our leadership says. Preacher, but that would be horrible. Oh, I agree with you. I'd like to be able to keep my nation, but what if I can't? Then the just shall live by his faith. And we will rejoice in our God. That's where we've got to be at. In the meantime, we ought to pray like a back at pray. We ought to plead with God. But the first thing we ought to do is look inside and say, what do we need to get right about? Because judgment does first begin at the house of God. Maybe, perchance. If God's people would get right about the things in their lives, maybe God would see and be merciful and gracious. And restore our land. Maybe. But if not, we're still going to rejoice in him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. I know that the answer that Habakkuk got was not what Habakkuk wanted. But he made a choice that he was going to rejoice in you regardless. Lord God, please, whatever the problem may be in our lives, whether they be local in that, problems we have in our own life financially or physically or whatever that Lord no matter what happens we're going to stay faithful to you you deserve having your people be faithful to you you are the God of our salvation so Lord I pray that you would deal with our hearts tonight and where we recognize the areas of our life that are not right according to your word May we be quick to repent and get right with you. Have your way tonight in this church, we pray in Jesus' name.